is I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Kind of worth why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TVs. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. I hope I don't get canceled. Being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. Well, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of <laughs> shit. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. <laughs> you brought a freaking guillotine. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. It wasn't making Christianity better, it was making rock worse. Uh, <laughs> what what the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. I remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, libertarians, anarchists, chip posters, just general people of the internet, thanks for stopping by, thanks for tuning in, and thanks for joining another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. And before we get started, as always, just remember, whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube, Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on LRN.fm, you can help us grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing it with your friends. Now, if you join the content please you can join our production team by visiting patreon.com slash o'donnell the number four liberty again that's patreon.com slash o'donnell the number four liberty and make sure to check out snack swag.com your home for all your favorite liberty merch you can get t-shirts sweatshirts coffee mugs tote bags all sorts of goodies and brand new designs, and you're home for rogue merch for 2022 Libertarian campaigns. If you're a fan of Jeremy Kaufman in New Hampshire, you can get your Jeremy for New Hampshire merch. It's up, it's available, it's on sale. It always, always ships free and helps support the campaign. So make sure you give that a visit. Again, that's snackstore.com or snackswag.com to go get your Liberty merch today. Now, if you want to keep in touch between shows, follow me on social media, join our community Discord channel, chat with other fans of the show at any time. All these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're watching or listening to, as well as on O'Donnellforliberty.com. So check the description, grab that link, and make sure you give it a visit today. So what are we talking about? We are diving in deep. We're diving in hard. The Libertarian Party is nothing if not dramatic. And there's nothing libertarians hate more than other libertarians. Not the government, not social welfare programs, not war, not even roads, but each other. And it seems while the world has fallen apart in the chaos of COVID, libertarians have seemed to take all of their energy and turn the fight inwards, rather than banding together and fighting against the, the tyrannical overreach of the government or the most oppressive growth of federal apparatuses since the Civil War, the Great New Deal, and turned on each other at every opportunity and gone for the throat. And it's been pretty disheartening, dismaying, and sad to watch happen, if I don't say so myself. But tonight we're joined by someone who's stayed above the fray, kind of stayed out of the fight, and tried to campaign for peace and unity in a libertarian party that fights together instead of against itself. So everybody, please welcome to the show an old friend of mine, candidate for Libertarian National Party Chair, Tony DeRazio. Tony, thanks for joining the show tonight. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Justin. Hey, remember that time that you uh, uh, beat me um, to, um, to get on the LNC yourself? <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's actually a wild story. Exactly how far back did me and Tony go? Um for those of you who remember when I used to be on the Libertarian National Committee, I was the Region 8 representative. My first election to the LNC was a special election because Larry Sharp resigned. And that Larry Sharp guy from New York, you know, what a quitter, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but he had resigned over uh, a scandal facing the LNC. And turns out nothing new, nothing old. And there was a special election to replace him for the region. And I beat Tony by one vote. <laughs> and ended up serving two terms on the LNC before I realized it was just an awful place to be. But Tony's running. You're running for chair, right? I'm running for chair. Why do you hate yourself? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Masochism. I don't. I don't. I, I actually see potential in the position. You know, I see potential in the body. I think the National Party could support the states and support libertarianism in this country if it would just get out of its own damn way. 
I mean, it's, getting out of its own way is a real tall task there. And it is. Well, 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 let's break it down then. In, in what ways do you see the National Libertarian Party as being in its own way? Well, um, anybody who's ever watched an LNC meeting or attended an LNC meeting in person, and I've, I've done both, um, knows that it's a very calm and orderly affair with nothing but decorum and hugs and puppy dogs and, and oh, Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's my little pony. Um, <laughs> no, no, the LNC is nothing like that. It, it's very contentious. There's a lot of infighting and a lot of um, personal attacks. And un- that gets in a way of a lot of what it's doing. Decision-making uh, on the national level is frequently done by committee. It's just so hard to get anything done. You know, nobody, nobody ever said, hey, let's have a bigger meeting to make this decision easier. No, you get people out of the way. You empower people. Yeah, well, hey, that's something I've been preaching for the last couple of years. Getting out of the way and empowering people is something that I think is one of the most fundamentally libertarian ways to approach doing anything. Getting out of the way and empowering people to work for their own benefit, for their own success, for their own good. And it's not something that's a novel idea to politics. It's something we've seen be successful in the political theater before, not in the United States, not with libertarians for sure. But like I talk about it a lot with the Icelandic pirate party and Eric Falkvinge and the work he did with writing Swarmwise and creating this tactical manual to changing the world. It is a phenomenal path forward and how a group of angry shit posters on a message board online could turn into the third largest political party in Europe in a matter of years. Yeah. Like simply by getting out of the way. And they called it a leaderless revolution. And to me, like there's nothing more embracing about anarchist and libertarian values than a leaderless revolution. Well, and here I am <laughs> running for a leadership position. But 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 uh, you know, I've watched past chairs, um, and and no disrespect to any of them, um, but let's talk about Nick Sarwark for a minute because I I know people have people have their opinions and especially he's in your state so I know you have opinions, um, love him or hate him, um, but there's no doubt that he spent a lot of time on the Sunday morning talk shows. He spent a lot of time becoming a celebritarian, becoming the celebrity in front of the party, that attention could have been given to issues. It could have been given to any number of candidates that were running for for yep. any number of offices. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not saying that he had a huge ego or anything. I, I, we, we, all, we all know that, you know, when you get to that position of power and stay there for a while, you, sometimes you believe some of your hype. I'll um, say he has a big ego, and I know you that's will. that's from personal and professional experience. And I, I, I'm not one to judge Nick Sarwark without recognizing the good. I'm never one to throw a baby with the bathwater. Right. I, I look at the three terms of Nick Sarwark as chair of the Libertarian Party as three separate like er- eras to look at. And mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to just be perfectly honest about everything, Nick Sarwark one was the best chair the party has ever had. Nick Sarwark 2 was still a really good goddamn chair. Nick Sarwark 3 might be the single worst chair the party has ever had. And nothing changed with the composition or demeanor or, like, argumentative nature of the LNC or of the party. We've always had internal factional battles. What changed was Nick. Nick got that taste of the spotlight. He started doing TV. He started doing radio. He started to be the spokesman of the party. He started to realize that he basically had become the party. He was the representation of the party. And when people looked for the party, they found him. He was the verified profile on Twitter. If you looked for Libertarian on Twitter, you got to Nick Sarwark. You didn't get to the LP National page. He was the focus, and it was Nick. And I've come to this real and working with Nick and someone who had a fantastic working relationship with Nick when we were both on the LNC. We worked phenomenally well together. I still consider him an extraordinarily competent person at everything he 
does do. It's just, it, I never had problems with Nick until he moved in down the street from me, until he became my neighbor, until I started interacting with him in everyday life, until him as a member of my community started to treat members of my community as if they were beneath him and below him and would belittle people who had minor disagreements with them. And then I realized how toxic and outrageous he was to actually be around as a person. And I started to notice the patterns and how that reflected in his tenure as chair. And I, to this day, think Nick Sarwark cares more about leading a losing fight than following in a winning fight. He would rather lead a failure than be a foot soldier for victory. Well, he's that's gonna, my opinion. You know, that, that's fair. I, I, you know, you and I have had very different relationships with the man. Um, he's not my neighbor. Um, and I didn't have to serve on the I don't know if you just broke up there a little bit, Tony. You might have uh, some audio is on your end with your little hotspot. Let's see. Better? I appreciate the fact that you can, man. I apologize to everyone watching. I have never had tech issues like this before. And uh, Comcast is biting to hear a huge complaint from me tomorrow or later tonight whenever I get them on the phone. Uh, because I have never had internet just cut out on me in the middle of a show. But we're back. We're going. What did I miss, Tony? Well, I just started going through some of some of my some of my high points. I figured I'd fill in the time until you came back. Um, so I was I was ready to start singing, but I didn't do that because wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. Like this. Hey, well, I, I apologize to everybody. I managed to cut off on my rant on Nick Sarwark just being a horrible human being. But we're out from there. And picking up from there, we've had another chair since Nick Sarwark. Joe Bishop Henchman, what are your feelings on him? You know, um, I had great, I had great, I mean, I did run against him in 2020. So uh, I had my misgivings that he was going to be um, Sarwark third term part two. He started off not being like that, and um, then he got mired into some of the uh, factional battles. Um, we saw what happened in New Hampshire. Um, you saw you were right right up close, and you were one of the first people who, who told me about what was going on, as I recall. Um, and um, I didn't really have a choice. I found I was actually hosting a barbecue. I had a whole bunch of LP members over at a bar, over for a barbecue, about 40, 50 people. And uh, then in, I'm, I'm tending the smoker, cooking up some wings and ribs for everybody. And somebody's like, hey, do you see that we're all getting kicked out of the party? I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and that ruined the barbecue for the day. Yeah. No, I, I imagine that it would. Um, you know. But, uh, again. Yeah, hard, hard to get over. And. It really was an interesting to, thing to see how every member of the LNC had interacted and reacted with that whole situation um, with New Hampshire. But Joe Bishop Henchman's, I, th I think it was his refusal to say anything until the very last second and then going out with a bang on his way out. And taking Tucker Coburn out with him, by the way. Yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, um, there might have been some behind the scenes wrangling to make Tucker aware of the fact that the state chairs were probably going to remove him anyways. Um, wow. I'm sure, you know, I texted you the night before as I was texting everyone I knew in the region as a reminder that the regional agreement allowed the state chairs to remove a regional rep. I do remember that. <laughs> um, yeah. But is, when you vote to uh, disaffiliate one of your own constituents, I think the rest kind of get a little bit weirded out by you. That was that was an awful situation, and um, and it and what caused it? We people who got tied up in the factional stuff and didn't get and didn't keep their eyes on the um, real enemy, which is the state. Um, I, I, you look a little surprised that I said that. No, no, really, <laughs> we're supposed to be fighting the state, not each other. Um. You know, you, sometimes we're going to disagree on tactics or we're going to disagree on candidates. I mean, Lord knows we're not always, we're, we're a contentious bunch. And I look at what happens every four years to us. Mm -hmm. um, 2016, we go into the convention in 2016. Um, you have people who are screaming loud that Austin Peterson needs to be our candidate. We have people screaming loud that 
Um, Gary Johnson needs to be our candidate. We have people screaming loud that Daryl Perry needs to be our candidate. We have, uh, we have, um, what's his face? We have, um, we have uh, Mark Feldman screaming loud that he's that libertarian. Um, but we came out of that um, convention united around a candidate um, that some of us didn't love, um, especially not the vice presidential candidate. Um, and we were actually pulling together for once and look at what we accomplished, the highest vote totals in history. Um, coming out of the 2020 convention, we didn't come out quite so united, um, partly because uh, we were already starting to get mired into, the, into this factional stuff. Um, well, I, I think the 2020 convention was really the height of two different factions. So, mm-hmm. it, like the Mises caucus has been around and has been recruiting for a long time, and they yeah. had they they wanted to pursue a more strong core of a libertarian message with the party and with its candidates. And then you had the Vermin Supreme camp, which came out of the woodworks for the 2020 convention after spending the previous year and a half just recruiting in a manner that the party had never seen before like deep organization deep efforts and recruiting from outside of the party and bringing people in to be their delegation and the problem is like well the mises caucus the prags the radical caucus even like the waffle house the nonsense caucus of the party have always been focused on recruiting libertarians to join the libertarian party and mm-hmm. because there's a lot of libertarians who refuse to join the libertarian party. They don't want to be on lists. They don't want to be group thought. They don't want to be associated with groups, whatever. They all have their reasons. Some of them valid, some of them not. But the Vermin Supreme campaign recruited, hey, you're a person, sign up, come and vote for me. And I remember the 2020 Libertarian Party of New Hampshire convention was a massively well-attended convention for the party at that point. One of the biggest we'd had in years. And I recognized 10 fucking people there. People who were not Libertarian, who are no longer part of the party, who just showed up, joined, signed their showed up to vote for Vermin Supreme and elected an EC of Vermin Supreme delegates who then tanked the party after Vermin lost the nomination, refused to campaign, refused to help Joe Jorgensen, didn't step up, didn't share data, didn't do anything because it wasn't Vermin Supreme. Which, you know, I'm glad that not every Vermin Supreme supporter and not certainly the Vermin supporters I've run into are certainly not all like that. Um, But there was some of that. Um, but we, we've seen that with candidates in the past, too. Right. This, isn't, this wasn't the first time that we'll see that. It's not the last time we'll see that. We're, we're the third largest party, but we're still Tiny. relatively small. <laughs> yeah, it's like one, two, three, four. Yeah. 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 It, it's real tiny, and it's really unfortunate because like people act like we've – like people are talking about the Mises caucus surge and – recruiting and how they're bringing new people into the party and acting like it's something that's never happened before where not only has it happened before it's happened recently just on the exact opposite side of the ideological spectrum and it happened in a way that was incredibly detrimental to the party not because they were brought in factionally but because so many of the people that were brought in just were not libertarians did not agree with us did not factionally align with us at all sure and and, and look what happened um their candidate didn't win the yep. ones that did align with us, the ones that were at least vaguely libertarian, stuck around and did a lot of work, some work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that didn't left the party. The uh, I pick on Austin Peterson, who, who, quite frankly, is a candidate I supported um, back back in the day. A lot of the people who supported Austin Peterson came in from the Republican Party, from the Ron Paul movement, yep. and left right after he lost the nomination. And the crazy part is I joined the party the 26. That's when I finally made the leap of joining the Libertarian Party. And the mm-hmm. reason I finally made the leap to join the party was Gary Johnson, because I was brought in with the Johnson campaign. Because oh. I remember watching the uh, Republican primary debates in 2012 when Gary Johnson was running as a Republican. And I'm watching him debate Ron Paul. And at the time, I'm like, that old guy's fucking crazy. He's stupid as shit. This Gary guy seems pretty sane. And it was because I thought Ron Paul seemed overboarding crazy at the time as a young budding conservative. Sure. <laughs> well, I, but I mean, we we see that um, from all corners of the party because we're ripe for takeover. And sometimes a charismatic candidate will bring some people in and get them feeling like, mm, maybe this is for me. I'll give it a try for a little bit and then leave. 
Well, I think that's the key there. You said it right there. We're a small party, and we are ripe for takeover. I think that is the key right there, us being ripe for takeover. And it's because we're ripe for takeover that I like to say that if you cannot defend your party against an incursion, you don't deserve to keep it. Like, if you cannot recruit people who are your base to stay within your party and defend your party from the quote-unquote outsiders, then you don't actually deserve to keep your party from those quote-unquote outsiders. Well, I mean, I, I look at it a little differently. Um, I, I, I want some of those outsiders to come in. And when I say those outsiders, I mean the libertarians who have never joined the party for one reason or another. We're never going to get every libertarian to join the party. I mean, I, I, there are really two classes of voters uh, who who could be libertarian who aren't. And the first class are, are voters who have aligned with those two ugly old big behemoth of parties because they think that's the only way to win. Trying to clean up my connection just a little bit. Um, no, but no, you're, you're 100% right. Like people come in with the behemoth of a party and they're not ready to win. They're not prepared to win. They don't know what they're doing. But people come in sometimes who know what they're doing because they've come with a candidate um, from outside the party. And we've never really found a way to strike the balance between the uh, candidate bringing in talented, qualified people from outside who are still principled libertarians. Well, and, and and this is one of those challenges that's really unique to the Libertarian Party that no other party, and that means no other party bigger than us or smaller than us, really um, has to deal with. It, smaller than us to a certain extent, but we are, let's see, so the primary purpose of a political party is to run candidates and win elections. Um, I think we can all agree that that's our primary purpose. The Libertarian Party actually has a secondary purpose that is arguably just as important. And I've heard a lot of people talk about messaging, and that's kind of goes hand in hand with this. Um, we're an educational movement. We've got to teach people what libertarianism is in, in a lot right. of cases. You know, oh, you're a libertarian. You don't know it yet. Well, that means we're not doing our goddamn job. <laughs> or, or we're doing it badly at the very Or least. we're doing it badly. So, I mean, we've, we've got a platform that's been around for 50 years, not completely unchanged, but largely unchanged. You'd think half a century would be enough time to educate voters. But instead, we're getting mired on um, issues of the day. I remember a couple of years ago, there was messaging that came out of the National LP about religious freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember what the exact messaging was. Um, and, and I and, do. And <laughs> I you know, exactly where you, know going about, with this. you know where I'm going with this. The Satanism yep. one on Easter. And here's the thing. So I remember, and different perspectives bring people to different mm -hmm. conclusions with the same events. Like, I'm an atheist, I'm someone who doesn't give two shits about holidays. I don't observe or follow them. And it's not something that concerns me either culturally, politically, sure. or personally. And I did not know it was Easter, I had no clue that it was Easter. I just see a tweet and a post from LP National that reads, uh, and I see that this it's part of a series that's quoting a whole bunch of different religious texts, and it says one's body is one's own temple, invaluable without consent. I don't remember the exact quote, but then it says from the satanic temple. And people lost their goddamn minds. And all I could think of was like, okay, everybody. once I figured out it was Easter, and that's why everyone was mad, is if, if you're mad because this was tweeted on Easter, you're a bigot. Because I bet you you wouldn't have been mad if they tweeted a quote from Tenzin Gyatso, the Buddhist uh, Dalai Lama on Easter. I bet you wouldn't be mad if they tweeted something from the Torah or Hebrew texts on Easter. I bet you, you wouldn't be mad if they tweeted uh, something um, from Eastern Orthodox Christianity on Easter. I bet you you wouldn't be mad if they tweeted from some any other religion but just a satanic temple, yeah. which is an atheist religion. And that was complete and utter bullshit to me because one, it was some people who were just seeing things out of context and they were just mad they included the satanic temple at all, which means one, you're bigoted against members of the satanic temple and you don't understand a freedom of religion. It, to me, the, the fact that people got mad proved the point of why the religious freedom series was necessary. I agreed with the series. And uh, yeah. any on almost any other day of the year, that would have been a great message to send. But this is the job of a marketing department 
and a messaging sure. team to know when to send a message like that to 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 offend the least amount of people. Um, <laughs> it's amazing to say sometimes but people it, need to be offended, Tony. Sometimes they do, but that message would have been better delivered literally two days later. Two days later, it would have been better received. You still would have had people losing their minds over it being the church of Satan. You're going to have that no matter what day of the earth because, uh, oh, my gosh, you're talking about a religion other than the one of my Lord Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, they wouldn't say, oh, my God, if they're saying that. But um, <laughs> don't mind me. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. Um, but, um, but they would be losing their minds no matter what, but you'd have less people losing their minds and thinking it's right. a lot less disrespectful. And that's the job of a market of a professional marketing department. Um, it's, it's okay to be bold in our messaging. It, it, it's okay to use, it's okay to use imagery like that in our messaging. That that was poorly timed messaging. It was poorly thought out. Now our, the, the messaging team has gotten better. Um, I will say that. Um, they've been open to feedback and open to using me good messaging from from the states. Even um, don't mind me patting myself. See, here, here's the thing, and as someone who works like in marketing and sales is my actual professional background. It's what I do. It's what I consult on on a daily basis. Right. And I actually don't agree with you that the timing matters on those things. And from a professional standpoint, it really doesn't. And some of the points I've been making with people is like the recent LPNH tweet. It was a bad tweet with the Martin Luther King Day thing. It was a poor, very poorly worded tweet. I understood the point they were trying to make, and I think it was a yeah. horrible way to deliver that point. However, most people I saw, I said, how would you dare tweet this on Martin Luther King Day? And I'm like, would it be better on another day? No, by saying that the day matters, you're saying that the message doesn't. You're saying that the message doesn't matter based on the day it's given. And largely, the people that we're marketing to who are going to be offended by a Satanic Temple tweet on Easter are going to be offended by a Satanic Temple tweet regardless of when it's out there. It doesn't matter. Which means by putting it out on any day and not caring about the context of the calendar and people's religious beliefs, you're actually weeding out and self-selecting a bit of your audience to people who are receptive to your message. Sure. I, no, I can certainly respect that, that, that opinion on that. Um, I will say that Christianity is a little unique uh, on this one, and, and I'm gonna. And <laughs> I did not know that we were going to get into the. Oh my goodness! Hey, you're you're right about these. We're going down these rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> there are a subset of Christians who go to church exactly twice a year: Christmas, Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. <laughs> on one of those days, <laughs> you you are mentioning the Antichrist. Well, and that's the other thing that, that I think that actually comes back to a issue of lack of education in the general populace and a misunderstanding of what was actually being portrayed because Levian Satanism, the religion, religion that follows the Satanic Bible, the Levian Satanic Bible that was quoted is not a Luciferian Satanism. It's actually a mockery. It's it's atheism, if anything else. And anybody who's taken the time to read the 10 tenets of the Satanic Bible, they're uh, allegor their allegory of the Ten Commandments, it reads like the Libertarian Party platform. Oh, sure. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, you know, exactly. I mean, the name is was really chosen more for the shock and attention value than it was for right. any sort of uh, allegiance to the uh, Prince of Darkness. Um, I mean, there, there's a number of joke religions like that. I grew up, um, I say grew up, it was in college when I read this. I read the book of the subgenius. Um, which is another uh, parody of religion, um, which basically featured a guy smoking a pipe that looked like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and really the, um, and really, and you'll pardon my French, because I don't use this type of language very often. Um, as, as everybody knows, it, I mean, th their whole credo is fucking if they can't take a joke. Um, so. Right. We also have like the church of the dude, uh, the there church of like, if you want to talk about joke religions, I can be offensive and say the Mormons belong in the category. But we, we can go down a list of who we want to I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Scientology is considered legitimate by some people. And the founder of Scientology was even open about the fact that it was a bet that he couldn't get people to believe a novel was a uh, religious text. So yeah, and, and and what the, and what David Miscavige has turned that into is just gross, um, to to say the least. Uh, 
Yeah. So, but hey, rabbit hole entered, rabbit hole out. Marketing is an issue for the National Libertarian Party. And some people say, uh, some people do say the sole role of the Libertarian National Party shouldn't actually be messaging, shouldn't be coming up with what is and is not libertarian or doing the platform and that that should be all left to candidates. But the sole role of the National Libertarian Party should be focusing on making sure the lawsuits are filed, making sure ballot access is obtained, and making sure that um, just marketing is done on behalf of the state affiliates and candidates and handle messaging. Sure. So if in your position as chair and the Libertarian Party is tasked with this marketing and this outreach and this oversight, a state puts out something that you consider absolutely fucking stupid, how do you deal with it? Well, that's, um, see, the Libertarian Party is very much a, a strange animal in this one, um, in that we are a decentralized organization. Uh, first of all, um, just to address part of that, um, I would say, I would I would probably split the difference on that. I would not do messaging the way that National is doing it today. I would keep it very simple, very broad, um, stick to national issues in the platform. Because a lot of times there are things that will come up in a state um, like for like for example, let's look at the mandates right now. You're sitting in Florida, and and you're dealing with COVID nineteen, and you're sitting in New York State, and you're dealing with COVID nineteen, and you've got very different experiences, and they're both bad <laughs> to to to, um, to to certain extents. How is the National Party going to to message in a way that's going to address both what New York is experiencing and what Florida is experiencing? No, New York and Florida should do their own damn messaging. Thank you. I'll do my own damn messaging in New York. Thank you very much. You know, right? But the they're not, and, and and they are, and they are to a degree. And I, I had this argument with somebody earlier today. There was an argument and a complaint about LPNH messaging, and people want to complain about the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire for the past year and their messaging that they're putting out. And here's the thing. I understand fully that maybe the Libertarian Party of Massachusetts is hurt by Libertarian Party of New Hampshire's messaging. But do you know who's not hurt by the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire's messaging? The Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, who has seen its membership almost triple, who has seen more activity and interest in donations and memberships and attendees at events in the past year since they've started this bold anti-lockdown messaging than they ever have in the six years I've been a member and been involved. Whereas the Libertarian Party of Massachusetts is collapsing, kicking out members. They're at an all-time low of membership and involvement. It, it's the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire that is succeeding and growing with its radical, bold messaging. It's, but Libertarians in New Hampshire have to constantly apologize and explain the weak messaging or lack of messaging from other Libertarian states. So it's a two-edged sword there. Sure it is. Um, and there, there are a lot of ways that messaging can go sideways. Um, you can have messaging that's not bold enough, especially... Um, in a party that prides itself by saying burn down the government or what, or, or what, how, however, however extremely you want to take your libertarianism. And I'm somebody who has had problems with um, some of the individual messages coming out of New Hampshire. And, and I, I think yep. if you ask me what they were right now, the Martin Luther King day one is what was, would be the first one that came to mind um, that, that you mentioned, but I wouldn't just put, so that's a guy, a volunteer, who is working. I'm not wrong about this, right? He's a volunteer nope. working yep. for the Libertarian Party, um, putting in putting in his time and effort for the Libertarian Party. You know, it's really going to encourage people to um, put, put put forth um, um, good, solid Libertarian messaging that isn't going to offend um, people and make national news in the the bad sort of way. Put them on blast, you know. Make sure you publicly right. humiliate them. Don't have a private conversation, a, a private and respectful conversation with them. Just put them on blast. Call them the worst person on earth. Um, sometimes, sometimes some of those tweets sound good in your head. You put them out. You put them down on paper, and uh, you know what? Much like comedy, it sometimes doesn't work. So have those conversations. We've had those same conversations in New York. We've had some tweets that haven't worked too. You know what we do? We take them down. <laughs> we review them. We take them down. 
we hone our messaging. We get better. We're a volunteer organization, largely. The job I'm running for here is a volunteer job. Yet it's an expensive job. <laughs> a, a volunteer and expensive job, yes. So an incredibly wildly expensive job that I, again, don't know why people want to sign up to do it. Uh, I'm usually of the opinion that we should pick the last person willing to do it in the convention hall. It's like, all right, your job, <laughs> but there is stuff to do uh, and there is things to do. Um, but I mean, we've touched on New Hampshire. I, I mentioned Massachusetts. Why don't we go down the rabbit hole of the three elephants in the room? Cause we got three of them. Now we have New Hampshire, Massachusetts and Delaware. Where do you want to start? You know, um, my answer is the same in all three cases. Mm -hmm. New Hampshire, National got too involved. And it um, it, and well, it it we'll stop. We'll stop there. Uh, we'll come back to that. If you think National's involvement made it worse, um, New Hampshire, I actually think is the one is, is one case of where National absolutely must and should have gotten involved and chose not to. And National's delay and Joe Bishop Henchman's delay exacerbated the issue and made it 10 times worse. So I, I will counter that by saying that I've read the Judicial Committee's report and the investigative report and, and know that Joe Bishop Henchman actually did get involved. And that's what caused the problem in the In first the wrong game, way. So exactly. yes and no. Yes and no to a degree. Um, the, the investigative report on New Hampshire, I, I find hilarious because th it's a joke and anybody, it, it should be an embarrassment to the Libertarian Party. If you actually read that, they put a bunch of my tweets as evidence, never talked to me. Nobody ever reached out and asked me anything. You know, a whole bunch of my tweets are listed as evidence in the uh, investigation. Um, and public posts that I made are listed as evidence. And then there's claims that they reached out to certain people and those people turned them down. And there is absolutely no evidence that they reached out to those people and those people vehemently did not ever being reached out to. They just simply chose not to ask them questions or reach out to them. It was an incredibly biased report. And if they could have covered up the fact that Joe Bishop Henchman deleted his emails, I believe they would have. But that was getting out either way. The so problem with New Hampshire and the Nationals' forced involvement in New Hampshire was the Civi CRM program was the fact that the New Hampshire website, the New Hampshire membership data, the New Hampshire, all of New Hampshire's resources were under Nationals' control the entire time. And they shouldn't be holding them hostage. And they held them hostage uh, mm -hmm. from the L LPNH. And sure. the result of that was New Hampshire no longer participates in the Civi CRM program. And several other states have withdrawn as well. It's something that the Libertarian National Party has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars into developing and making available as a resource, the state's affiliates have lost faith in because New Hampshire held it hostage from the state. Uh, because National held it hostage from the state. So I, as an IT guy, yep. because <laughs> that, that's what I am by, by, by trade, actually see another problem here that, that isn't really being addressed so much. Go ahead. Joe Bishop Henchman deleted a whole bunch of emails, right? That are the property of the party. Correct. And were being called upon an investigation and couldn't be recovered. <laughs> what the hell? That is a huge liability. For, forget about New Hampshire for a minute. What if there's a sexual harassment lawsuit that happened? What if there's what if there are criminal charges brought against people in our party? This is a huge liability. We've got a. We're not acting like we're, you know, we're trying to compete with the with the with the big boys, um, even though we're a lot smaller, but we're not able to, because we have glaring holes. We have glaring risks like this facing our organization. I know this is really. I know risk management is the sexiest part of running for chair and, and the sexiest part of, of this. But I think um, it is because I think it's the only real job of the chair. It's <laughs> but it's that's important. my personal opinion. It's an important thing that it needs to be considered, and it's not being talked about enough. We no. we're we're at risk as a party because there's glaring holes like this. There's there's just a lot of things missing like that. But your point is well taken um, on this. That um, you you could look at New Hampshire as the national party not getting involved enough, but where they did get involved, they they did damage. Correct. Um, I would say the same thing is true in Delaware, even though from a fashional standpoint, it went the other way. Um, 
Well, Delaware. in Delaware, from my understanding, and I did not pay too much attention to Delaware, um, mm-hmm. I talked to Dave Casey, who's a friend of mine who's very involved in Delaware, but it was very much an out of sight, out of mind, we're still dealing with issues here kind of a thing for me. Mm-hmm. And from, from my understanding is after the purge in Delaware, uh, the LNC basically instructed them, hold a new convention, we'll recognize whoever wins the new convention. Yep. Which I don't think the LNC has the power to do that, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the LNC definitely has the power to say who they recognize as an affiliate. They do. Um, so, but, you know, you, ha- you have you have an affiliate with bylaws um, yeah. that you, if you're looking at it from the LNC, did this affiliate violate their bylaws? I, I, that could be um, open to interpretation. Um, I've talked to people on both sides, you know, depending on which side you talk to. Yes, they violated the bylaws. No, no, no. This is exactly. Okay, great. Um, the, and and right here, this is why the factional bullshit's got to stop. Right. <laughs> um, let's ju- just hold one convention, which, by the way, in Delaware, their bylaws mm-hmm. direct when they hold the convention. It's in like three weeks. But um, and sort it out there. You want you want to affect the membership. You you want to take over. You want to take over the party. You want to be the leadership of the party. Bring a critical mass of people to the convention. It's that simple. Well, and they Steve. know they can't. And the one thing I did see from um, can't even remember his name, the asshole in Delaware that took over. Um, like he had a long-winded ranting screed where it is weirdly enough, it, it was one of the most hopping in and something I agreed with incredibly where he's talking about how democracy is a terrible system for private organizations and it leaves you open to hostile take. And I'm like, he's making an incredibly valid point. He's still a piece of shit, but like th- there is something to be said. Yeah. McVeigh camera anarchy in the chat pointing out. It, it, it was a Will McVeigh, that asshole. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you can tell you that, but um, what, yeah, I mean, like, what could be said there? I mean, I've talked to Will too, and and he, yeah. you know, both sides of the argument really actually make a pretty strong case. Um, so go to convention. Well, no, I actually, I, I actually don't think Will. I think Will's case is incredibly strong from principle, from a from a standpoint. I agree as an anti as an anarchist who doesn't believe in democracy, who believes democracy is a flawed system that inherently disadvantages a minority. But any situation where a democratic vote is taken will result in the oppression of a minority, in my opinion. And, and that is the necessity of how the system operates for majority rule. Um, I don't think McVeigh has a leg to stand on when it comes to the principles of the Libertarian Party, an organization based on mutual consent and voluntary association. Well, I mean, like I said, the convention's in, I think it may actually be in early April, but I mean, I, I, I suspect... Coming it's coming up, and by that point, I think this is all going to be resolved, and then we will have all forgotten about Delaware. And um, sorry, I was going to make Hopefully. a joke. Um, Delaware is a lovely state. It's one of my forty-nine favorite states. It doesn't oh. exist. It's <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Wisconsin, you're lovely, but um, but so, and, and you, I suppose now it's time to talk about the third elephant in the room, and that's Massachusetts, which uh, that's the big one, in my opinion. So, you know, I got to be honest, I'm not as well versed on Massachusetts. And I think that situation is still playing out. Um, again, they've got a convention coming up in a few weeks. So, yeah. okay, so, 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 they, so, so the they, question is whether or not they have a convention coming up. They don't know. Really? That's a big one right now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more familiar with Massachusetts than I am with Delaware because I grew up in Massachusetts. I first joined the party as a member of the Libertarian Party in Massachusetts. I served on the state committee in Massachusetts for a few years, and I helped write a significant number of their bylaws amendments when I was on the state committee in Massachusetts for a couple of years. And I have a lot of friends being 20 minutes away. It's a very oh, close sure. proximity for me. What happened was... Um, uh, there was some ideological disagreement, usually along caucus lines, as always, uh, between a few members of the state committee and a few members of the party. And members of the party felt they weren't being represented. Some of the members of the party got openly hostile with some of the members of the state committee. And by hostile, I mean telling them they were pieces of shit. Nothing physically confrontational. Nobody ever made any actual threats. Some people trolled and said the trolling will continue until the situation improves or whatever. And then they kicked someone out of the party. And they kicked her out of the party 
And the charges laid against her were tweeting or retweeting a tweet containing an offensive language such as the N-word. That was the broad scope that they charged her with. Um, they voted with no trial. They didn't tell her she was being considered for expulsion. They didn't tell anybody it was happening. They voted behind closed doors and then just made an announcement. Um, however, the tweet in question was not a tweet she tweeted. It was not a tweet she retweeted. She had made a comment, and then a member of the state committee replied to her with a screenshot of somebody else's tweet using the N-word and said, do you, uh, do you condone this language? And she wouldn't answer them. And so that was enough to kick her out. Well, um, yeah, I mean, didn't they kick out like 40 people? No, we're they... getting to that. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I jumped ahead yeah. of the story. No, we are in a multi a multi-stage story, but after they kicked her out, people were pissed. Understandably, uh, because they kicked her out with no trial, no due process, no reasonable or just cause, and just expelled her from the party and disenfranchised her as a voting member. So people were understandably upset. I understand that. I'd be upset too. And then there was a lot of debate amongst their membership as a member of the party. Oh, a member of the state committee proposed a new bylaw amendment that included a code of conduct. And the code of conduct laid out a whole list of things that somebody could be expelled from the party for. And it was innocuous, such as just being disagreeable, being in a different caucus. Like, it, it was basically so broad and vague that they could kick out anybody for um, raising their voice in a meeting. You'd be kicked out of the party. Um, and one of the reasons was if you did not support a Libertarian Party candidate, if you spoke badly about a Libertarian Party candidate, or if you supported a candidate from another party, you would be kicked out. And a lot of people had issues with this, and they're like, so you're telling us that if we don't support Bill Weld running for governor, we'll be kicked out of the party. And just on a surface stare, that should be enough to say this is a terrible fucking policy. But they passed it, <laughs> and there was a threat. Uh, several members of the body had told the state committee, if you pass this rules of code of conduct, we will petition, which is allowed, and their, their bylaws have very specific rules for calling a petition to call a special convention. They said, if you pass this code of conduct, we will call a special convention, and we will elect a new state committee. They passed the code of conduct. Members collected a petition. It required uh, 10% of the dues-paying members of the party. They got over 20% of the dues-paying members of the party to sign the petition, delivered the petition to the state committee, and the state committee said everyone who signed this petition has committed an act of aggression against the state committee and is expelled from the party. And they're refusing to call the special convention that the petition called for. Now that seems to be a problem with uh, their leadership um, and um, and uh, well, their state chair, their state chair resigned immediately after announcing the expulsion of the rest of the membership. Yeah, I'd heard that that she had done that, um, and I did talk to people um, on 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 their state committee and got, and got their their viewpoint on that too. But um, it's it's not. Um, I didn't have a, I don't have a full understanding of the situation, and now I've heard the other side of it, and that's the thing about that's that's the thing. Has um, so here's my here's my question um, as as yep. national chair as national chair potential. Um, <laughs> so the state committee um, got in a, got in a room and um, had a vote and expelled forty three people. In a closed doors meeting with no comment, no trial, no due process whatsoever. Okay. Did anybody from either side actually sit down and have a civil conversation with each other? And perhaps um, um, even if there's disagreement, um, talk about what maybe those disagreements are and, and come to a compromise, I don't know, like leaders should do. Um from my from my understanding of the series of events, I don't think, I think the onus 
would be on the state committee to make that happen. The onus would be on the state committee to do that, not the membership at large. The membership were, it's, were exercising their rights as spelled out in their organizational constitution and bylaws to call a special convention to address their grievances. Sure. The membership had that as their only recourse uh, because they weren't being heard in the members' meetings. They were being silenced. Sh Ashley Shade was muting people, not allowing them to comment, not allowing them to talk, ruling them out of order, and um, refusing to allow for appeals of the ruling of the chair by uh, misciting the rules of order, uh, which was a gross violation of their bylaws, uh, repeatedly for months. They're, they had attempted for months during their members' meeting, and some even sent me video. They recorded it against the organization's rules because they wanted feedback. And I've been sent video of their meetings where Ashley Shade and state committee members shut down any attempt to have these grievances addressed and refused to acknowledge them. So, I mean, and once again, and, and, you know, I have friends on both sides of this yep. um, argument, and that's that's what makes it really hard for me. You know, in New Hampshire, I had friends on both sides. In Delaware, I have friends on both sides. In Massachusetts, I have friends on both sides. <laughs> and and it's, it's all coming down to factional warfare, factional warfare, factional warfare, and it's clouding right. people's judgment all around. Why are we fighting each other about these little factional things? Why are we who are such a small party kicking people out who are doing the work? Why are we who are such the a small party? The key is there who are doing the work. Why are we kicking out people who are doing the work? And I think that is the ultimate key question because for so long the problem we've had is people not willing to do the work. We've had, as A.J. Olding puts it, and I, I'm going to rip off this quote until it's no longer relevant, the Libertarian Party has an epidemic of people who chase titles without doing the work. So many people want to run for a position because they want the title, they want the clout, they want to be a big fish in this tiny pond, but they don't want to do the necessary work that's required to make that position mean anything. The, so the question is, when the people who hold these titles, when the people who get these titles, and I will talk badly about some of them, as someone who's been around, who's someone who's been in boards that did nothing and on boards that did things. Who's someone who's watched the LNC fail at any attempt to try and do something and watched the LNC refuse to even try. Who's someone who's watched state boards fall and state boards succeed. The people who do the work to me are vastly more important than those who hold the titles. But when the people who hold the titles are willing to disenfranchise those who do the work to protect their titles, where does that leave us as an organization? Is unity worth it with people who will sow disunity and discord at every opportunity to protect their own ego and status within such a small pond as opposed to letting the pond grow into a lake where there might be more competition, more stiffer competition for scarcer resources when people are afraid to compete afraid to accept that there are better people better suited than them for the positions they're in and here's the best part I, I use new hampshire as an example i did a big long tweet thread the other night about this one of the things that's amazed me about new hampshire is that since the mises caucus has taken over the party has tripled in size we've had more events in the past year than we've had in the past six in total. We've had more outreach, more event, events, more growth, more involvement with legislative lobbying. We have bills written by Libertarian Party members now being considered on the House floor in New Hampshire, where that had never happened before under the old leadership, who wasn't willing to get involved and build alliances with other organizations to get that to happen. But nobody's taking credit. Whereas under the old organizational leadership, any minor thing, somebody farted and the wind picked it up. They'd issue a press release to take credit because that's what mattered. Well, um, so so I, I think the right answer is somewhere in the middle there, though. I mean, it's good, it's good for us to declare victories when we have them. Um, it, it is. We have to. That's how we grow. That's how we say, hey, look at what the Libertarian Party did over here. And, you know... Yep. And we have well, to that's the thing. That's the thing. And the example is every time something happens now, it's look what the Libertarian Party's doing. Whereas two years ago, it's look what Richard Manzo did. Look what Nicholas Sarwark did. Look what Daryl Perry did. Look what Jaletta Jarvis did. And they would be meaningless things that didn't impact anything. But 
efforts would be gone to take credit for them and disparage others for not doing them. And I'm not saying the Mises caucus is immune to this. I've seen some other states where it's absolutely a cult of personality, a cult of toxic leadership, and it varies state by state with the individual groups of people that are involved, just like any group of people. Um, there are some states where the Mises caucus is just becoming the new old guard, for sure. But what I've seen is we absolutely have an epidemic of people who don't do the work. And how can we pursue unity between people who are willing to do the work and people who will get in their way unless they can take credit for what's happening? So I think we have a part as a party have been kind of looking at this um, in the wrong way or a lot of, not everybody. I think actually most people are looking at it in the right way and the way you phrased it is exactly the right way. So in New York is one of those states where you don't hear about a takeover. Right. Right. We're not one of those states. That you hear about it. We don't have a Mises caucus problem. Do you think we, that's because we don't have the Mises caucus and we kick them out? No, <laughs> absolutely not. We have a Mises caucus, a pretty strong Mises caucus at that. Um, some of whom are on the state committee, some of whom are actually doing work on some of our other committees, some of whom are actually getting stuff done. And by the way, some of whom are complete whack jobs and aren't. <laughs> um, you know, just like the whole, the Libertarian Party as a whole, there are people who work and people who don't. There are people who just want to sit on the internet and scream online. And you know what? There's a place for that, too. Um, it's I, called I, I Twitter. Know. It's pretty great. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> it can be. But... You know, it, it's not about caucuses. It's about pe people who lay, people who are supporting liberty who want to get the work done. Um, it, it's just, just how it is. Um, so how do we fix it? How do we move forward? You're running for chair. What is your pitch to bring unity? Final pitch. I am, I am not looking at, I am not looking at your caucus membership. I am looking to see whether or not you're a worker who wants to work for liberty and I will, I will be willing to work with you. I know some of you aren't going to be able to work with each other, but I can work with both of you. How do you and get them to work together? You know, maybe I don't. Maybe, maybe I get them pulling in the same direction on the opposite sides of the boat. You guys can row the left side of the boat. You guys can row the right side of the boat. I'll be up here leading the, leading the path. There's and a how do you make sure? And how do you make sure that both sides of the boat keep traction if one decides to give up just because they don't like who's pushing on the other side. Don't look over there. Look here. We're pulling towards liberty. Look at the real enemy. Why are you looking at the other side of the boat? All right, well, that's the pitch. Last chance for unity is ignoring your problems with each other. I guess. I get it. I, I, I'm not sure it can work. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, it's, I, I'm watching the comments a little bit, and you know, there are yeah. bad actors in the party. There are bad actors in all parts of the party, and I'm not saying that we need we should ignore those bad actors. Um, and um, if you if if you are on one side of the party and think I'm talking about the other side, you're right. If you think I'm not talking about your side, you're wrong. Um, because there are bad actors in every caucus. There are bad actors at every corner of the party. Um, I don't think it's the majority of the party. I think that there are a few bad actors and, you know, purging them as opposed to purging broad swaths of membership for being, uh, for being suspected members of, of a caucus. Two very, very different things. You know, I'm, I'm more worried about um, dorks are everywhere is about the best way I could have put it. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think, um, there's a lot of great workers in this party all over the place and we get hung up way too much on the, the, uh, the infighting in our tiny pond when we could just be growing our pond and, and swimming, swimming our own corners and, and still pull in the same direction. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the attempt. You get a stiff opposition, Angela McArdle. Um, she is definitely bringing organized opposition and an organized campaign. Um, I think you guys are preaching a lot of the same values, but there's enough differences between you that a debate should be warranted at some point. Yeah, I don't know I mean, who else is running. I've heard rumor that there might be a Sarwark entering the race. We'll see how that goes. Um, really? I don't think it's going to go well for them. Both Sarwarks uh, 
were did not receive a necessity uh, nece necessary number of votes at the LPNH convention to be considered as delegates or alternates to Reno. Neither mm -hmm. one of them made it. So interesting. Uh, unsurprising. <laughs> well, I, I I I know that they certainly have their detractors, especially in New Hampshire. So, Tony, any final thoughts you want to leave people before we sign off? Um, if you want to check me out and get to know me better, um, check me out on Twitter, Tony4LP, which you can clearly see right there in my name. Um, Facebook.com slash Tony4LP gets you to my Facebook page. I have a website, Tony4Chair.com. That's Tony, the number four, Chair.com, because libertarians love the number four. Um, I see it's two whole letters. It does. It does, and also it was a, it was an available domain name. Uh, <laughs> there, that's more often the excuse than any other I hear. True, true, true. But you can also go to TonyDorazio.com and get you to the same place. So, yeah. Um, also, while checking the chat, uh, I do see Patrick Bateman. You love the sweatshirt? You can go get one of your own on Snackswag.com. Everyday sponsor, longest running sponsor of the show. Great store, great swag. Always available, always great stuff. You guys can give me a follow on Twitter. You guys can join the jump in the Discord. Links are in the description. Um, you guys, as always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for bearing through the unbearable tech issues. I've never had this happen before. Comcast is going to get a goddamn word full from me uh, later on tonight. But hey, until next time, be free. Thanks again for tuning in and joining us tonight. Make sure you hit that like button and leave a comment below to let us know your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live. If you enjoyed this content, you can join our production team on Patreon by following the link in the description. And don't forget to follow on social media and join our community Discord channel by following the links in the description as well. The best part of all of this is the community that we're building and growing. So go ahead and join us. And thanks once again to our awesome sponsors and patrons for making all of this possible. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. So until next time, everybody, be free.